Well, sometimes I'll preach a sermon and I'll use a whole book of the Bible as a text, preach on a whole book. Sometimes I'll preach on just a few verses, sometimes even just one verse. This morning, I am going to preach on one word, one word. Now, I know you probably think that means the sermon is going to be real short. It's just one word. Well, just keep hoping. <clears throat> That's probably not going to be true, okay? But it won't be terribly long. The word I want to preach on this morning is the word Emmanuel. We've already seen it. We read it in, in uh, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. You will call his name Emmanuel. And this is, of course, quoted again in the New Testament in fulfillment of that prophecy. And the word Emmanuel simply means God with us. God with us. So let's just think for a few minutes about what that means, that God was with us in the person of Jesus. And the first thing it means, obviously, is that Jesus is God. He is not just a... a you know, some type of say, well, you know, no, he's the son of God. Well, no, he is God, the son. He is the eternally God, the son. And so it's important for us to understand that we've talked some about the Trinity here in the past, so I won't go into that again. But I want you to know that when Jesus was here on earth, God was here on earth. And in fact, it is because he was God, and he recognized himself and declared himself to be God, that's the reason that he was so hated by the Pharisees, and it's the reason that he was arrested and crucified. It was not because he did good things. It was not because he healed people, but because every sign that he did was a, a flashing neon light simply saying, this is Emmanuel. This is God with us. God is here with us. And so uh, it, that's the first thing it means that Jesus is God. And this is not the only place, of course, in John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1. All of those passages, and I actually intended to read all those this morning, but <clears throat> I'm not. But, uh, but I'll encourage you. They're real easy to find. They're all chapter 1. And John, Hebrews, Colossians, and Revelation, all of those just shout out the deity, the godness of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John 1. And then, of course, the others. You read for yourself. So we think about what it means that Jesus, that God came to earth to live among us. And I think about what he left. This past uh, Thanksgiving, last month, uh, on Thanksgiving Day, I went down to the Union Gospel Mission to serve breakfast to homeless people. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. And, uh, and yet it wasn't a sacrifice of any kind. I went down and I watched them and they reminded me, so many of them reminded me of my own brother who is homeless and living in New Orleans. And so it was almost 
something good for me to feel like I was almost serving my brother, even though he wasn't there. But as I got back in the car and came home, I thought, uh, this is not an example at all of what Jesus did. Although it does say he came to serve, not to be served. But I got in my car and went back home to a comfortable place and then had a wonderful feast that afternoon with family and friends. But I want to tell you, when Jesus came, he left his glory. He laid aside the glory that had always been his. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine it. And he came to this earth, and, he, and Philippians chapter 2 tells us that, that uh, in fact, just go ahead and put uh, Philippians chapter 2 up there, if you will. Paul says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who even though he was in the, the full form, the, the, uh, the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he... He emptied himself. He laid aside the glory that had always been his. And he humbled himself, the Bible says, and he became a man. He became a a human. God had never been human before this. And so there was a sense in which God could never say, I know what it feels like. To be hungry. I know what it feels like to be tired. God has never been tired. I know what it feels like to to be thirsty. But when God became man and dwelt among us, he left all of that glory, just worship, amazing worship for all of eternity that had just been praising him and sharing the glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he left that and he came, humbled himself to be born as a a man. And then he, and then being found in human form, he became a servant and he humbled himself by becoming obedient even unto death. Even the death on a cross. This is all in what he left, where he came from. It'd be one thing for a person to go down and serve the homeless for a day, but it would be something else to go and actually become homeless for 20 years, 30 years, 35 years. And that's what Jesus left to come. There's a song called Out of the Ivory Palaces. In fact, Henry Bearclaw heard a sermon on Philippians chapter 2. And he went home and he wrote the song, Out of the Ivory Palaces, Into a World of Woe, Only His Great Eternal Love Made My Savior Go. And then my favorite song along this line. Do we have that uh, PowerPoint, Brad? Is it, was that going to work? Okay. 
Okay, it's a song called Down From His Glory. And I don't know if you've ever heard this song. Most of you have heard the tune to it because if you've ever, or if you were an Elvis fan and there was a song called It's Now or Never, uh, you know, the tune to that song is the tune to Down From His Glory. Well, let me just just listen to the... I can't hardly read it without trying to sing it, but I won't sing it, and uh, I know you'll be thankful for that. But uh, uh, get the words. It says, Down from his glory, ever-living story, my God and Savior came, and Jesus was his name. Born in a manger to this world a stranger. A man of sorrows, grief, and agony. What condescension bringing us redemption that in the dead of night not one faint hope in sight. God, gracious, tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to win, and to save my soul. Without reluctance, flesh and blood his substance. He took the form of man, revealed the hidden plan. O glorious mystery, sacrifice of Calvary. And now I know thou art the great I am. And the chorus says, O how I love him, how I adore him, my breath, my sunshine, my all in all. The great creator became my savior, and all God's fullness dwelleth in him. It's powerful even when you don't sing it. But you ought to just look it up on YouTube this afternoon and let somebody sing to you down from his glory, ever-living story. And that's, that's what he left. He left his glory. And came to this world of woe. Humbled himself. Became a servant. And being in the form of a servant. In the form of a man. He humbled himself even to death on the cross. And uh, that's why he came. He came. He came to save us for sure. But he also came to show us what God was like. A lot of people who had even read the Old Testament, they had a view of God that was not fully accurate. They had a view of God that the truth was there, but they twisted it and they looked at it through wrong lenses, and they had this view of God that was incomplete and inaccurate. And Jesus said, I have come that I might declare to you the father he says no man has seen god at any time but the son of god has come to declare him to reveal him to exegete him to to show clearly what he's like and so when kids want to know what what is god like i tell them look at jesus because jesus said When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God is gracious. 
God is kind. God is merciful. God revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And that's what Emmanuel, God with us. We want to know what God is like. We look at Jesus. Now, he came for many of these. In fact, the Bible says he came to fulfill the law. He came to call sinners to repentance. He came to serve and give his life. He came to proclaim good news. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came that the world might be saved. He came to do the Father's will. He came to give abundant life. And he came that believers might not remain in darkness. And he came to bear witness to the truth. These are just some of the things, just some statements. If you ask the question, why did Jesus come? You get all of those verses. But the main thing, he came to show us the Father. He came to let us know what the Father is like. And so he is present. He reveals the character of God. And that's why he came. And then it says, God with us. God with us. The idea that Jesus was God with us, but he also, he is still with us. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he's with us in the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And is always with us. He is for us. He is with us. He is in us. And he identifies with us because he was fully human. Now most of us, in times of our greatest pain, we wonder, does God understand? Does he know what it's like to be betrayed? He does, doesn't he? He was betrayed. He said, my own dear friend has lifted up his heel against me. Yeah, he knows what. Does he know what it's like to be alone? Yeah, many times he was alone. He was abandoned, deserted by his closest companions and friends. Does he know what it's like to suffer? Absolutely. Absolutely. No one suffered more than Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us that we have a high priest who can feel our pain, our infirmities, our hurts. And he knows what you are going through when you're going through the worst thing you're going through. He even knows what it's feels like to feel abandoned by God. On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, all of my sin and all of your sin and all of the sin of those for whom he was dying was all laid upon him. And in that moment, God made him who had never sinned and who knew no sin, God made him to become sin for us. 
And in dying, he paid the penalty for that sin. And he removed the shame and the guilt of it. But then he did even more than that. It says that he became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God, which is in Christ. Do you know what you have to have to enter into the presence of God, to go to heaven? You say, well, I have to have my sins forgiven. No, obviously that's part of it. But you could have all your sins forgiven and you stand before a holy God and you have no righteousness, you still could never enter into heaven. Righteousness is required. You say, well, how, how do I get righteousness? By trying to do righteous things? No. It is by receiving God's righteousness through faith. In the Roman Catholic Church, they teach that righteousness is conferred upon us by giving us the ability to be righteous. The, the Latin word justificare is the word that is translated righteousness in the New Testament, in, in Latin, rather, in the Vulgate. And that word means to be righteous. To do righteous things. And that's an inaccurate translation. The Greek word, dikaiosune, is the word that means to be declared righteous. Now there's a huge difference. If the only way I can get into heaven is by being righteous, friend, I don't have a chance. I, there's no way that I could be righteous enough. And that's the reason, by the way, that purgatory and all the other uh, things uh, were, were added to the, to the teachings of the church because they said, you know, there's no way that a person could be perfectly righteous enough. And so there has to be a place to have the, the imperfections purged. No, 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 no. None of that's in the Bible. That's nowhere in the Scripture. The Scripture says... That the gospel is the power of God and a salvation because through it the righteousness of God is imputed. It's reckoned to us for righteousness. And I'm going to tell you, this is sad to think, but there are millions and millions of people who are trying really hard to be righteous and to live a good life and to live a clean enough life that they hope that when they die, God will measure their life and say, well, you did more good than you did bad, so you get to come in. No. One sin is enough to keep us out of heaven forever. One sin. Adam and Eve committed one sin before they were expelled. Moses committed one sin, and he was forbidden to enter into the promised land. Friend, you and I have no hope at all if we think that somehow or another, by living clean enough and good enough, that we'll get into heaven. Now, I'm, don't misunderstand me. I, 
I want to live a clean life. I want to live a good life, a righteous life. But my righteousness in the sight of a holy God is filthy. All of our righteousness in God's sight, a holy God, is like filthy rags. And the only hope that I or you or anyone else has to enter into heaven is to be clothed with the absolute perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, the amazing message of the gospel is that he took our sin in order to give us his righteousness. And we receive that righteousness not by working for it, but by working from it. We receive his righteousness by faith, and then that faith results in good works. It is by grace through faith unto good works. But it has to be in that order. And I would just say to you, Christmas is the message that God came to us in order that he could die for us, in order that he could impute to us his righteousness that would result in a life of good works. I hope you've received the gift of eternal life. The gift of God's righteousness. And how sad to think that on the day of the final day, the Bible says, there will be those who will stand before the judgment. And they will say, well, Lord, didn't we do these good things? Didn't we sing? Didn't we teach? Didn't we preach? Didn't we work? Didn't we do all these good things? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There is no righteousness on you. Your righteous acts stink in my nostrils. And then there will be others who will stand before him and say, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And I, by faith, have received the righteousness of God that was in Emmanuel. And to those, he says, enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that the gospel is clear all throughout the Bible. Even in Adam and Eve, when they tried to clothe themselves, it was it never covered their shame or their guilt. And you in marvelous grace took the life of innocent animals and covered them with the skins of an innocent sacrifice. And from the very opening pages of the Bible, you've made it clear that it is never by our effort, 
but it is by your grace that we enter into your presence. And I pray today, Lord, if there's even one person here who has been trying to earn favor with you by their own works, that they will cease, that they will lay it aside and say, I receive the perfect righteousness of the Son of God and that they might trust in him. And then let that lead them to good works. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.